2: the 97 championship game George Clooney was there and I sort of waved to him and somebody wanted to be introduced and I was like you have got to be kidding me this is so not the moment this is about basketball
3: when Ashley Judd graduated from the University of Kentucky in 1990 the school's basketball team was about to be nicknamed the unforgettables and Judd the star of Kiss the Girls Divergent Eat and many other movies doesn't forget a thing when it comes to her beloved Wildcats. During the NCAA tournament in 2003, she showed her appreciation for the players by inviting them to her house and cooking them dinner. And they, of course, never forgot her. I'm Lachina Robinson. Those sweet, funky sounds you hear are the Budos band, and this is Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. Now, please welcome Ashley Judd, Kentucky Wildcats' huge fan. Ashley, I know you are feeling a little under the weather, so thank you so much for doing this for us.
2: Well, talking about Kentucky basketball is a great medicinal. It cheers me up.
3: Well, wonderful, because we're going to do a lot of that on today's show. It's great to have you on the show. Now, let's get to those Wildcats. You've got some deep roots in Kentucky. Aside from its crazy success under Adolph Rupp, why do you think college basketball is a tradition passed down through generations in Kentucky?
2: Well, I can only speak for my for myself, and and then I do think that that's what also speaks for generations of Kentuckians because it really is about family. And I remember being a little girl and my beloved Uncle Mark, who's my game buddy to this day, telling me stories about how Papa Judd, his daddy, my granddaddy, would say, "Oh, come on, boys, let's go over to Memorial Coliseum and watch the cats play." And when Papa Judd could, he had a Ashland Dole filling station over in eastern Kentucky. And he could close the station early enough and thought he might be able to get tickets. He would put my two uncles, Brian and Uncle Mark, and then a little boy from across the street, James, in the back of the car, and they would drive um, the old you know, paved road. It was a two-laner. And they would get tickets, and they would go in, and they would watch the Wildcats play. And then they would drive home, and the boys would be really sleepy, but they would still have to get up early on a Saturday morning and do their newspaper routes, go to Sunday school. But then they could stand around and tell all the men folk why they were so tired, because they'd gotten to go see the cats whoop whoever it was that they had whooped the night before. You know, and they would talk about Coach Rupp and the boys that they'd seen. And, you know, it was always about connection, and it was always about Relationship, and I think that that's why. Um, Kentucky basketball is so important for us. And, you know, we've got three distinct geographic regions in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. We've got our beloved Appalachian Mountains in the east. We've got the bluegrass in the central part of the state. And then in the in the west, we've got our agricultural fields and the karst topography. But the one thing that unites us through and through is our basketball.
3: Um, take me back to the sights and sounds of your first University of Kentucky basketball game. Who did you go with? Who they play?
2: Well, I re- I remember being a student at the University of Kentucky between 1986 and 1990. So I was often up real high in Rupp Arena, you know, and I would go with my sorority sisters. But you know, I was really thinking in preparation for our time today about some of my real memorable games over the years, games that I attended in person, games that I watched on television, and some of the best shots that I feel I've ever seen. And and that's really kind of what I wanted to walk with y'all through today, if you would humor me. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I remembered a game that I didn't see in person. It was about family. My cousin Josh was being bar mitzvahed, but I found a television in the basement and Kentucky was hosting. We were fifth in the country and Maryland was ranked number two. And at that time it was 1998. We didn't host a lot of ACC schools in Rupp Arena. And we put the hardest whooping on them and it was the funnest game and i remember like running upstairs to dance to pretend i was still a part of the part the family party but then running back because they were living in pennsylvania at the time and nobody really cared about you know the folks from pennsylvania didn't care about the kentucky wildcats and they would <laughs> go back down and watch my basketball game and it was like rep arena the place where you know the acc schools come to die it was so exciting <laughs> and then um you know, of course, I was thinking about the fabulous Elite Eight game um, where Cameron Mills, who was shooting 43% from three-point land, had not scored a four, a three-point basket in the entire tournament, four games up until that point in the Elite Eight when we were playing Duke and St. Pete. And this was the comeback cats. Of course, I'm talking also 1998. And um, he had the ball in his hands with two minutes and 15 seconds to go, and it was like, is he finally going to make a three, or the comeback cats going to lose their magical nickname that was given to them by Jim Nance, the CBS announcer, and sure enough, he sank that three, and then Scott Padgett had the ball, and the comeback cats kept their name, defeated Duke, and we went on to win our national title with Tubby Smith in 1998, and I cheered so hard that I practically did a backbend in my seat. I mean, that was (laughs) one of the best shots ever. I've got a picture, I bought it from the newspaper, the Lexington Herald leader of him making that shot, and, um, you know, the family that I was with, it was so memorable to be with people that I loved during that game, and then, you know, I, I came to Harvard to do my graduate degree where I am now, and my dad came up here to be with me a lot while I was in graduate school and went to my classes with me and made friends with my professors. But the most important thing we did was set up my television so that I could watch Kentucky basketball because we knew that I would have to get cable and we'd have to be real smart about it because the local channels wouldn't necessarily cover Kentucky ball and John Wall was going to be on our team that year. And so there we were. We had our game all tuned in and John Wall made the winning shot in his first game as a freshman for the University of Kentucky Wildcats. And that was just such a fun thing. Thing to do with my dad, you know, our father-daughter tradition. So it's so much about family.
3: Yeah, wow. So you had your priorities straight, right? You're like, get my cable hooked up so I can see my wildcats. Like, that's what's got to happen right away. Exactly. Well, you mentioned, you know, several legends in Kentucky basketball, John Wall and and many others that I know that you uh, definitely adore. Tayshon Prince. Um, what are, who are some of your favorite all-time Wildcats and what's special about them?
2: You know, I still have to go with Tony Delk, I think is my all-time favorite. He was the MVP of the 1996 uh, Kentucky Wildcat Championship team because you know tony was a great three point scorer but he was more than that he was a tremendous defender and i think one of the unsung things that he did was he had a tendency to foul out the person who was trying to defend him in a game and he made hustle plays and he was um he was just he was slippery and he was tenacious and he was a, uh, he could just bother somebody uh, to distraction on defense. And one of the things he did in the championship game was he had a wide open three, but he passed it up for a higher percentage two point shot and he was un selfish. You know, he was a boy from a family of 10 in Brownsville, Tennessee, who grew up the hard way and came to Kentucky and just did it all. And I, and I also got to be, you know, had the honor of being friends with Tony and um, respect him to this day for everything he did for our school. And so I just loved everything he brought to his game and to that championship game. And, you know, and then I I remember sweet things too, you know, the theme here being family, like I got to know Miss Birdie, Ron Mercer's Mother and she drove the bus for the for the Nashville um, Municipal Authority and getting to see her son at the games when we played at Vanderbilt and how much she loved and adored her son and uh, gotten to know Eric Bledsoe's mom a little bit at some of the games and um, and you know I I called Coach Joby Hall Granddaddy because he reminds me of my Papa Judd a little bit and I remember you mentioned John Wall I was sitting with him at a practice once at the at the Joe craft practice center and he held up my hand and he said john wall has such beautiful hands you know so i have all these special (laughs) memories from over the years
3: wow well you've talked about a lot of the victories Um, i know there were some losses that were heartbreaking can you name me just one um, that sticks with you
2: Well, I think that the 2014 loss to Connecticut in the championship game down at Houston was a pretty painful one because that was such a magical season for us. I mean, first of all, we lost to Connecticut in 2011 uh, by one point in the semifinals. And so I was looking to avenge that loss. And then, you know, what we've been able to do, especially with the Harrison twins and Aaron Harrison, making those clutch shots against... If I have it right the sequence I think was against Louisville and Wichita State and Wisconsin uh, running up to the the game against Houston and I was in the student section and so it felt like those Connecticut players shooting on us and scoring and defeating us was personal mm. you know I felt like their sweat was their underarm sweat was just flying right at me that was painful oh,
3: that is a tough one you know and one. then i
2: would also say the pain a pa- the painful loss against arizona in overtime in 97 because we were an overtime away from a three peat national title Ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah,
3: though yeah. I mean those are the, the higher the stakes, right? That's like the harder the loss because you get that close to it and you're you're right there on a championship and then you lose it. I mean, those are to me the most devastating to have to deal with. Now you you mentioned you sit in the student section.
2: <laughs> That's where Tell I'm me a
3: little, a little bit more about that. <laughs>
2: you know, I love being with the students. I love, I love how rowdy they are and how passionate and focused they are. And, um, you know, I sit all over the place. I'll sit with the governor, I'll sit with the, um, behind the bench. And I've been so fortunate that coaches over the years have shared their family seats with me. And, you know, I love sitting with my, I've got a a family and a couple of families in Tennessee with whom I often sit families with whom I'm so close. We've often gone to especially the SEC tournaments together in Nashville. And um, I love us all sitting together. We watch the games together with my special socks, my UK socks, um, when we're at home and can't get to the games in person. And so we'll all sit together in the gymnasiums. And being in the student section when I'm on my own, I just feel very comfortable and you know they're a little stinky. I'm a little stinky, and we just cheer. <laughs> That's you right.
3: Know? I'm surprised in that list of of losses you didn't mention '92. Uh, Christian Leitner does that ring a bell?
2: That was strategic. <laughs> that was strategic. I mean, I of course, like every other Kentucky fan, um, I can tell you exactly where I was and my having a somewhat unusual career. I was just finishing my very first film, Ruby in Paradise, which went on to win the Sundance Film Festival. But I was in this very liminal place. Um, I had just uh, finished filming in um, Florida, the panhandle of Florida, and I had rented a car to drive over to New Orleans because I was trying to shed this character that I had been inhabiting and living for six weeks and sort of come back into my own body and my own self and my own personality. And so I was driving by myself, but of course I knew it was March Madness. I knew there was a big game. I knew we were playing Duke with whom we already had this very contentious and long history. So I pulled into this little roadside bar um, and had the game on, they had the game on uh, above the bar and I sat there and watched it and it was just as painful and as lonely as I've ever felt in my life, you know, all down there by myself, and I just walked out with my head hanging low. I mean, I was proud of Felt House and the Boys, but what can you do except move on and uh, take a winning record against them into the history books?
3: fruit (laughs) that does matter and and what I will say is that that was a heartbreaker not just for Kentucky fans but for basketball fans alike I mean it was just one of those shots where first of all no one really likes Duke and so everyone's cheering for Kentucky and you know I mean Leitner was like one of the most hated players of all time And he
2: stepped on his chest and then we learn you defend the inbound play you defend that. Oh yes, you
3: definitely have to do that. Um, everything that you have said about Kentucky fans sounds so delightful. Um, but what is maybe one thing that the rest of us misunderstand or get wrong about Kentucky basketball and its fans?
2: Hmm. You know, I think that we do. I think that there is this tremendous level of of personal angst that really percolates and and foments before we play. U of L. I think that people take it so personally. Like I read about people who can't go to work or they have to take off work early the day before we play U of L. Um, and you know, I think I think one of the things I would I would really say about Kentucky basketball is that it is it's a neutral space. You know, it's an apolitical space where we come together and set whatever. Differences we have aside, and what I call those outside issues, and we come together for our love of the sport, our love of our heritage, our love of our tradition, and uh, we can have we can be unified without being Mm -hmm. uniform. Mm -hmm.
3: That makes perfect sense. And in today's climate, um, it's something that is definitely music to our
0: ears. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up?
1: Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one met crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour This is game day
3: what does game day look like for you? Any routine, superstitions? <laughs> Where do you like to go before and after? Give me the all the scoop.
2: Okay. Well, one of the things I do is I randomly yell at the top of my lungs without warning. I'm backing up from the mic. Let's go, cats! I'll just yell that around my house. I just have to say it all the time on game day. I've got my special socks that my dad gave me, which are not particularly attractive, (laughs) but they're my fuzzy feet love. Sometimes we watch at mom and pops because they've got a lot of sofa space or we build a fire in my library and we all pile onto the floor and the big chairs and, you know, I definitely listen to Leech and Pratt. With all due respect to the television announcers, we're not terribly interested in the national scene or what's going on in other games that are being played simultaneously. We want our game information to be Wildcat-centric. And so we um, freeze the television to sync it with the Leech and Pratt call of the game through the internet. And then we play it so that we have the play-by-play through the Kentucky uh, call of the game. And, and it's and we play it on a speaker. And it's just a thing of beauty. I love that.
3: I mean, the, the type <laughs> of work that goes into syncing, I can't even imagine, especially the radio, because you've got, I mean, on both sides, you've got commercials. I mean, it could be quite a task to get that all lined up.
2: Oh, we have it down to such a sublime art form, and it's very smooth. I mean, we know down to the player's step if we're completely synced.
3: Okay, how about food?
2: Any food on game day? Hell no, we're watching basketball. (laughs) No, We have Scooby Snacks before, and halftime is only 15 minutes. You do your necessary business, and then you sit back down.
3: And you don't miss a second. Okay, how about when you go to the games? Um, Game day food, places you like to go before or after?
2: So if we're at, um, if we're in Lexington, we would generally go to my, of course, it's all about family. We'd go to my great aunt and uncles and we would sleep there. And then we would go plenty early to rep arena, watch the boys warm up. When I was doing cat on a hot tin roof on Broadway for six months, I couldn't go to any games. And so when I, uh, Finally came back to Rupp Arena. I was the why when the, when the cheerleaders the first time out in the second half slide across the floor and spell Kentucky with their bodies. I came out and I was the why sitting on the Wildcat's shoulder. That was super fun. So that's something I occasionally do when I go to Rupp Arena. And then we always go to Joe Bologna's Pizza afterwards for something <laughs> delicious to eat. Oh. Um, but speaking of doing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, that's a really fun memory because um, my Saturday matinee for the play started after tip-off, but CBS wasn't carrying the Kentucky-North Carolina game. They were carrying a more regional game, probably Syracuse or something like that. So I called CBS and I said, hello, uh, at CBS headquarters, do you have a feed of the Kentucky basketball game? And they said, yes. And I said, may I come to CBS headquarters and watch your feed of the game? And they said, well, we think that's kind of funny that you would ask. So yes, you may. And I said, can I bring some other people from Kentucky who live in Manhattan with me? And they said, this is indeed very funny, and yes, you may. (laughs) So we went, (laughs) and we watched the little black and white monitor of the game, and then I had to rush down to make my curtain call for Cat on a hot tin roof.
3: Look at you. I mean, the ways that you make it happen. I'll do anything to catch
2: the game. Anything.
3: Speaking of someone who shares that same love for Kentucky basketball, but has admittedly said that, I mean, he can't come close to where you are, um, Drake, um, actually named a sneaker after coach Cal um, how have you two maybe bonded or have you over the years
2: so we sat near each other um, I think it was the 2009 2010 season and we were playing in Syracuse Cornell and he was sitting nearby and I wasn't really familiar with his music. And of course, I really believe in equality and the dignity of women and men and girls and boys. And I'm very sensitive about particularly things in pop culture that are degrading to the value of girls and in, in, in um, lyrics and stuff. And so I had to ask him a few pertinent questions about his music. before
3: I. Read. I love it.
2: Engage with them because I have a niece who really likes his music and so and he was kind enough to sign a stat sheet for me Once I sort of vetted his music and then we had to do the very serious business of watching the game And I will verify without a doubt the most unattractive picture of me on the internet was at that game We were behind and it was a bad call <sighs>
3: I was getting ready to say there's never been an unattractive picture of you that I've seen, but I know how those moments can be when there's a bad call and your face just does something that you don't even recognize. So I I can believe that. (laughs) Now, do you have a Wildcats
2: group chat on text? And if so, who's in that? So here's my text from my 16 year old nephew, Luke. Um, uh, Love Devin Askew. He's a 6'3", very skilled point guard who has very high IQ, always makes the right play, lights out shooter. I love Keon Brooks. He's similar to Emmanuel Quigley. Breakout sophomore year. I watched him a lot in high school. Freak athlete, very skilled, star potential, making huge jumps in his game. I think this year it's going to click for him. Talented team with depth. Really believe we're national championship bound. Luke is legit. Legit. (laughs) (laughs) That's my basketball tech. He knows his
3: stuff. He knows his stuff. Uh, Before I actually leave um, celebrity fans, um, as we had the conversation about Drake, have there been other people that you've met at Kentucky games um, that we might know that you've maybe shared your, your fanhood with?
2: Yeah, I mean, the 97 championship game, George Clooney was there and I sort of waved to him and somebody wanted to be introduced. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. This is so not the moment. This is about basketball. (laughs) Um,
3: What's one bit of advice for someone attending their first UK game at Rupp? Well, post COVID, obviously, when people are allowed to go to games, what would you tell them if they were going to their first game?
2: You know, I would say really take in the environment, but a great opportunity to take a good family picture, which Uncle Mark and I always do, even though we've been to, you know, so many games together. Um, During one of the timeouts in the second half, the cheerleaders come running out with this giant K flag and they do a big, um, beautiful pyramid. And you know, our cheerleaders have almost as many national championships for their sport Mm -hmm. as the basketball team does. They're phenomenal athletes and gymnasts and tumblers. And they make this big um, pyramid and then they hoist up the big K flag and they rotate and do a 360. And it's a very beautiful, give you chills moment. And when they rotate it in your direction, get a good selfie And that's what Uncle Mark and I always do in Remarina.
3: It's all about the moments. And you know when they happen, (laughs) because you said you go to the game for warm-ups, like you're there in advance. You probably know when the cheerleaders run out. I mean, the timing of all of this, it's down to a science, right?
2: Yeah, and if you can stay for a little while afterwards, too, not only do you miss all the traffic when folks leave, but Coach will come out with the player of the game, and Mike Pratt, who's an All-American who played at Kentucky, will come out and interview one of the players with a microphone, and you can sit in your seat and listen to them do that after we sing My Old Kentucky Home.
3: Boy, you are are all in. I love it. From (laughs) the very beginning to the lights go out at Rupp. Um, Ashley Judd is in the building. Um, what about March <laughs> Madness? It's obviously a very special time. Uh, it's the best. Tradition for March Madness. Have they changed over the years? How does your March go?
2: So I do two brackets. I do what I want. And then I do one that is maybe a little bit more what I think might happen if, if you know, I still have my cats going far, if not all the way um, in my second bracket. And, uh, yeah. And then I just watch all the games. I mean, I take time off. I do whatever I can. I mean, on this one movie I did, um, Eye of the Beholder, which filmed in Montreal, um, I actually was so desperate to attend the games that there was a, a day when My face was not on camera and the only body part of mine that was needed was my feet walking through a train station Mm -hmm. and they filmed a body double walking so that I could fly and go to a (sighs) (laughs)
3: Did The the question is, uh, did the feet actually look like your feet?
2: Not so much, you know, but I have to make sure I have all the channels because I I honestly don't watch television. I, I read print media and I listen to the radio. But with March Madness, I have to make sure I have the full television package so I get all those channels. Um, What
3: can you share about any upcoming projects?
2: Oh, thanks so much for asking. So I'm writing a book at the moment. Congrats. Congrats. And then I'm actually going to be doing this really interesting independent film about a really powerful woman named Andrea Dorkin who was very determined to heal uh, the population from men's violence against women. And she was really clear on the fact that, you know, we talk about violence against women, but it's not just happening in a vacuum, that there are some men, it's not all men, but there are some men who perpetrate this violence against women and they use their fists and they use their hands and that we need to be clear in holding those men who perpetrate the violence accountable, and that when we are responsible and can hold that complexity and hold that tension and hold that discomfort, society will start to get better. And she wasn't always popular and well-liked in her time. She could be a polarizing figure, but she's starting to have her moment after her death, as the sort of Old Testament prophet raging in the hills that she was. And people are giving her the respect that she is now due. So I'm going to play her in her 50s. There are four of us who are playing her at different ages in her life. And the film is unusual and that there will be actual documentary footage of Andrea Dworkin. And then I will blend in and do some of her speeches and great texts. So that's what I'm up to now. And then um, it's going to be basketball season.
3: <laughs> before we know it um i will say i don't want to bring this school up right now but we recently spoke to a big lsu fan in tim mcgraw
2: mm-hmm.
3: um sorry i know that you know sec we don't really want to do had that. our
2: greatest comeback in history against lsu <laughs> and i watched the whole thing it was magnificent
3: <laughs> that's right you just have to remember where those notches are on your belt but um we talked about you know lsu football and his role in iconic football films would you want to do a future film project about basketball?
2: Absolutely. And I've been uh, loosely associated with one. There is a an incredible story about a team that's sometimes called the Wonder Five from Eastern Kentucky, and they were five high school boys who were all related. They were all socially disadvantaged. They had a ball that didn't bounce. They made every shot they ever put up because they played outside and they never aired because other because the wind was blowing. And they took the state powerhouse Ashland High School to five overtimes. Mm. And it's, a, it's an absolutely incredible tale. Most people in Kentucky are familiar with it. And we've tried in fits and starts to get it made into a movie. And, you know, life goes on. And I met my husband and fell in love. And he's Swiss. And so we're back and forth between Europe. And, you know, different projects have manifested in my life. But maybe someday that that will get made.
3: Yeah, that sounds like it would make an incredible film. Um, Oh, and
2: and they were invited to the National. They ended up losing against Ashland. They never made a substitution. What? I mean, they rarely dribbled the ball because the ball they had didn't bounce. I mean, they were an extraordinary Mm. team. And they were invited to the National Tournament because the news of them, they sort of got heard tell around the country. Their uh, reputation was picked up by the wire service. Incredible team. The Wonder Five.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Crunch Time!
3: I'm going to ask you rapid-fire questions, and you give me rapid-fire answers, okay?
2: I'll do my best. Okay.
3: You can't go to a Wildcats game without what?
2: My UK t-shirt.
3: Best Wildcats jersey, the electric blue or white?
2: Oh, I love the classic white, our home jersey.
3: What four players are on your Mount Rushmore for UK basketball?
2: Oh, my Mount Rushmore. Uh, Ron Mercer, Antoine Walker. Tony Delk, and I think I got to put my Patrick Sparks on there with a no-look-behind-the-back bounce pass.
3: Most prized Wildcats memorabilia?
2: Tony Delk gave me a piece of the 1996 championship net. (sighs) Most heated
3: Wildcats rival? Who do you love to beat the most?
2: Um, Well, we had that stretch with Utah that was a lot of fun. You know, and I and, know uh, their coach just said, why don't you just bury me at the, at the finish line at <sighs> Kingland? <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. One UK play or moment you wish you could have been there to see in person.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, Jack Goose-Given scoring 48 in St. Louis.
3: All right. If you could um, dunk on one Wildcats rival player, who would it be?
2: Interesting. Shaq? <laughs>
3: one word to describe your wildcats fanhood
2: oh i cherish it i just cherish it
3: i love it ashley thank you so much for your time i know you're under the weather but you were just fantastic we appreciate you pushing through and doing this with us
2: such a pleasure to be with you this afternoon it's been a real treat for me
3: thank you let's go
2: cats Go Cats!
3: You can find Huge Fan on Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other huge fans can find us. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. On behalf of the Huge Fan Club, Mark Aflalo, Sarah Bentley, Justin Blasey, Rod Braxton, Bill Crandall, Rick Cutler... Unique DeCosta, da Liam Davenport, Jen Derwin, Brian Douglas, Bevel Dunkerley, Jared Fox, Steve Gonzalez, Daniel Hercheck, Josh Horn, Mia Hung, Quinn Keeney, Andy King, Phil Lang, Steve Leeds, Sarah Mendoza, Sajin Morinsee, Doug Mortman, Natalie Nadimi, Rob Pepitone, Josh Solomon. Mike Spinella, James Sullivan, and Jake Wilson. I'm Lechina Robinson. Until next time, keep rooting your guts out. Go Budo's Band!
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?